Thank you for pressing play on episode 133 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and for this episode, I spoke with Rico of the band The Brazilianers. He is a Peoria, Illinois-raised musician, now based in Nashville. He performs, records, and sings with The Brazilianaires, and he's going to be back in Central Illinois very soon for some performances this fall, including one on September the 30th, where they are performing outside of a historical theater the Madison Theater. So he's going to be performing that benefit show. We dive into the history of the Madison Theater, his background in Central Illinois, and also the Brazilianaires as well. So hopefully you enjoy this episode of A-Sides with Rico. Look, it's rock and roll! And cue music. Saturday the 30th, they're going to be back in the area for the Madison Theater Block Party. That's right. September the 30th. Yeah. Are you excited for that? I am excited. You know, I'm always excited to come home, you know, to my hometown. All my peeps are there, family. And, uh, you know, our our little project, the Brazilianaires, that's where we started. So it's, it's kind of where it all started for us, you know. It's like a big benefit thing, too. And people can, like, tour the theater too not just a performance yeah Yeah, i don't know what it all entails i know they have vip tickets where um you can come backstage i think there's drinks and food and things and of course meet the band we'll be back there and then there's tours they'll give tours to the theater which is super cool because i think that's the last historic movie house in in peoria it's like a historic gem you know this place have you ever seen a show uh, there, like a concert there back in the day? Yeah, I actually played there, man. Like in the in the late 90s, I, I was playing in a band and we played there. And um, yeah, that was like in the 90s, especially. That was the place. Of course, I'm dating myself now, but that was the place to play. That was just a killer room. I was a little too young, I guess. I didn't see my first concert till 03, which is the year... Uh, that I guess they stopped doing shows there. But I know all my friends ended up seeing like so many bands through there, like Cheap Trick, even Smashing Pumpkins played there. I didn't realize this, but there was an article in the Journal Star that like the architect of the Madison was like Frederick Klein. And he also designed and was the architect for like the Coronado Theater in Rockford. And I've been there a few times and I didn't... I guess I didn't make the connection before between those theaters, the Madison and the one in Rockford. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. I, I didn't know that. But um, if you get a chance to come to this show and they give you a tour, of course, they're renovating it. But it's like really, I don't know how to say, man, um, embellished. Like, it's just magnificent. Like all of the the trim in that place. And uh, it's all, it's so fancy. And it's I don't know when it was built. I think in the 20s, maybe it was built. 
Yeah, that's but, what the article said. Yeah, it opened in 1920. Okay. Yeah, and it looks like it. I mean, it's super cool. And unfortunately, it's the people that have engaged us to do this show have told us that, you know, it's been in kind of bad repair for a few decades. So they want to, like, bring it back to its splendor, which is super, super cool. Yeah, people have been talking about that for, like, a long time up here. Because I guess there's people that had so many good memories from shows like back in the 90s. And we really don't have a venue like that anymore here in Peoria because there's like the arena or the riverfront and then there's nothing like in between. That's true. That's yeah. absolutely true. There's, you know, some cool outdoor venues, you know, yeah. like Poor Brothers and yeah, yeah. Kelleher's on the Kelleher Street uh, when they close the street up. We perform there a lot. But a venue of that size, no, Peoria doesn't have it, you know. We play a, a smaller venue called the Contemporary Arts Center. That's a nice venue, but it's it's not as big as, of course, as the Madison. So but yeah, speaking of that too, the Contemporary Art Center, like you guys are coming back again, like in October to play there. We are, yeah. That's one of our favorite spots because we just, you know, it's Preston Jackson, the, the famous artist man. It's he's kind of put Peoria on the map when it comes to art, and uh, that's his his place. And uh, William Butler, who is also a really great artist. Um, kind of runs, uh, manages the place. And it's just a really cool artistic vibe there. And the, the fans that come to that show is just incredible. So have you ever walked through like the gallery back there of all of Preston's stuff? Man, it's an honor to do that. And every time I go, I, I walk back. <laughs> yeah, like at first to... I started walking back there, but like, I was like, am I supposed to even be back here? Because... <laughs> felt like I was like walking into somebody's like, you know, like, yeah, their studio basically. But I guess that's what you're supposed to do. You can like check out his stuff. Yeah. You know what? And he like every when we do our sound check there before we, we perform, like right after our sound check, there's nobody there. So I'll go back there and he's usually there. And I just hang out and chat with that dude. I he's just a wealth of knowledge. He's as you know, he's like a renaissance man. He's not only like this incredible you know, sculpture and artist, but he's also a, a, a super good guitarist and just does it all, you know. I didn't know he was a musician, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's amazing. I've seen his paintings there, but then even at the museum, they have a bunch of sculptures and stuff that he has, too. Yeah, like you're saying, like Renaissance man, he can, like, do it all almost. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to say something false, but I thought he was, like, Pretty sure he teaches at the Chicago Art Institute or was was conducting classes there, which is it's probably like, I don't know, this outside of New York, it's the best art gallery in the country, you know. Oh, wow. Oh, well, I can't wait for you guys to come back to that one, too, because it's always cool. Like people dress up because it's a Halloween uh, costume. Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've done it just about every year. Of course, during COVID, we, we didn't. That's just a fun show for us to come back and do. And so the night before, we're going to be also uh, in central Illinois. We're playing at Jazz Up Front in Bloomington. Yeah, I think you guys did that the last time too, but you played like maybe the night after or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we tried to pick, or the night after. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the night after. Yeah, it's a Saturday. So we're playing Contemporary Art Center on Friday and Jazz Up Front on Saturday. Yeah. I've heard of that Jazz Up Front, but I've never been there before. It's a funky little jazz club, man. And we pack it um, with some wonderful people. Uh, the people that come there, just uh, it's that Bloomington normal crowd. They're a yeah. fun group. Is it the same kind of crowd? Do people follow you over there? Or do you have a, 
Yeah, I, we kind of have our own following over there, but we have a lot of folks from Peoria that come over there as well. Oh, this awesome. Is, so. It's probably always good to see familiar faces. That's Those connections are special to us, you know? When we see the same faces come out to see us, it means something to us, you know? So you grew up here in Peoria, right? I did. I did. I'm oh. the only one in the Brazilian areas that can say I'm from Peoria out of like seven people in the band, you know? Yeah. You grew up here. And when we were talking about the Madison, you said it's one of the last like movie houses. Like, were there like a lot of those in Peoria? Because I barely, I barely <laughs> remember those. I think there might have been one on Knoxville still around. Yeah. Was what was that one called, man? That that was, um, I can't remember. Was that the Fox maybe or something? Hmm. Yeah. When I was like, you know, little kid, man, there were just like maybe a couple of them left, you know, as a little kid. They went out like in the 80s, all of them, you know. So by the time the 90s came, they were just, they were all gone. Yeah, because then it started turning into like Landmark and stuff where there's like 10 screens, 5 screens. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So when you were growing up here, like, did you know that you always wanted to be like a musician since you were a kid? Or did that kind of come later? Did it find you later? Yeah, I think early on it happened because, you know, I was like, um, there was four of us kids. I was in the middle and, you know, the middle kid syndrome where you maybe don't get as much attention as you'd like. So I kind of had to make my own attention. And <laughs> yeah, I remember locking myself up in my bedroom when I was 10 years old, man, and playing the guitar. And I got my first guitar, I think it was about seven or eight. And by the time I was 10 or 11, I was playing, you know, pretty decent and of course that was pre-youtube so we had to actually learn the tunes from cassette tapes or you know <laughs> or even vinyl records or whatever and um now kids have such an advantage man because if they they want to learn the latest whatever tune they can they get on youtube and there's somebody probably giving a lesson to teach it you know yeah or there used to be something you should remind me of this like when i was like growing up or in high school or something there was like downloading the tabs the tabs that's what i did yeah yeah. 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 yeah yeah if you could get the tab man that was it the tablature yeah yeah <laughs> like did you ever take lessons then or like was it all I just you taught yourself no i took lessons i took lessons and got in my first like garage band if you will when i was probably 14. you know i was like this tall skinny dude not super athletic i thought man if i could just play that guitar and get in a band i'm gonna be able to get a girl to look at me, you know what I mean? I'm going to get some attention. So I think that's what drove it, sort of. Uh, and then I just fell in love with music, you know. Well, you did tell me off air, too, that you like went to the Guitar Institute, like the Musicians Institute. Was that out in California? I had a Monte Carlo, man. And I got in at Monte Carlo and drove out to L.A. I auditioned because they only take, um, I mean, you have to audition to, to get in. Uh, I was accepted, and that just changed my whole world um, because that exposed me to so many types of music. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, Peoria was pretty much a rock and blues. You know, that's like when I was a kid, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan was like the king, and yeah. you know, so it was, Peoria was like a bluesy town, and of course, probably some country as well. Going out to LA like exposed me to jazz and Latin music and. Killer, killer stuff, 
Yeah, just more diverse population out there too, right? So it would be right. all sorts of music. Yeah, and the musicians that were going to that school were from everywhere. Like, what happened was I was studying uh, guitar there, and I met this percussionist. His name was Maurice Carvalho. I'll never forget, man. He gave me a mixtape because back then we had cassettes. So he gave me a mixtape of these of these Brazilian tracks. And let me tell you, I didn't even put it in right away. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to hear all this stuff. I don't even speak Portuguese, right? And then I started playing that tape. And let me tell you, I wore it out. And I was asking him for more. It just, like, blew me away. The rhythms and the harmonies in that music. That's how I got introduced to Brazilian music. Oh, wow. So then that was kind of the spark for later, the Brazilian airs then. Yeah, yeah. That planted the seed for it. Yeah. Cool, man. Did you end up playing with him too outside yeah. of school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started a band. It was called the Grand Persuasion. And uh, he played percussion and keyboards in it because he had all of these, he had like a whole bag of these Brazilian percussion instruments that like, I mean, you can't go to Guitar Center and buy some of these things. You know, it was super cool. We keep in touch. And he's a, he's a manager for, lives in Atlanta and does, uh, is a manager like for the travel uh, network, the oh, food my. network, something like that. He's, He's kind of a big shot with Turner Broadcasting now. So. Oh, wow. Crazy. Did you stay out in California for a while? I stayed out there. After? Yeah, I stayed out there a few years and then came back to Peoria in, in the in the late 90s. And uh, my dad was in bad health at that time. He had he's since passed away, but I just felt like I needed to be near him. I came back and bought this old mansion on Moss Avenue, man, that needed a boatload of work. <laughs> I spent some years renovating it and playing in bands, local bands. I was playing with a band out of Chicago for a while. I was just like, have guitar, will travel, man. I was playing with everybody to for supplies to renovate this house, to to feed me. Like working musician. Yeah. yeah. I remembered that today. Like, like you mentioned Moss Avenue. And I think my dad said that, yeah, when you guys were going to leave Peoria to go like to Nashville, you hadn't sold that house. So you, I think he said you were going back and forth a lot. Yeah, we were. Yeah. yeah, we we uh, we finally sold it, and yeah, I miss that place. Yeah, you know, sometimes I know there's some like old old houses on there too. Like you can like you can like tour those things right on like Moss Avenue. You can usually around the holidays they'll have yeah. tours. Yeah, yeah. And there's one actually that's right was pretty much right across the street from the the house that I had. It's called the Morin House, and it's like a house museum. Yeah. So the Pettengill Morin House. Yeah, because I think I did that when I was like real young with my mom. We went there one uh, time. Yeah. Like I was, I think I was too bored or something. But like I do remember that. You should go now. You probably really dig it. Yeah, yeah, it's probably something like yeah, I wouldn't appreciate it when I was like eight or nine. But... Right. So when you came back to Peoria, was it a while before you formed the Brazilian Airs? Yeah. So I, I again, I was really focusing on. Um you know, renovating that old mansion. So I was playing with a lot of different bands, but I really wasn't fulfilled. I always wanted to put together this like, this kind of like Latin fusion project, you know. In LA, I played with a Latin band for a while too, when I was out there. So I kind of caught that, that fever. So I was working up a repertoire of songs when I when I met the singer, uh, our singer Dove yeah. Benoit, and um, so I met her and we started working up 
a few songs. I, I contacted her and said, hey, I, I want to do this like bossa nova project. And would you be interested? And she's like, yeah. So we we worked up a few songs and we got this gig. I don't know um, if you remember this. It's a little lounge in downtown Peoria called the Black Rabbit. Yep, yep, yep. You guys almost played there like weekly, I think. Right? Yeah, so we became the house band there. We played there every Wednesday. And it, it was crazy because I think I think the manager was like, what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure like this, this Latin band is going to work, but let's give it a shot. Probably, um, probably within a m- couple months, we were like just packing that place every Wednesday night. Damn. Killer musicians were coming and sitting in with us and it just really took off. But that's where we cut our teeth. We played there for like, oh man, a year and a half, maybe two years, uh, every Wednesday religiously, like seven to nine every Wednesday. Yeah. Isn't that Twin Towers building, right? kind of deal yeah yeah it was in the it was that bar on the bottom of that yeah i think it's something else now but like i remember um hearing about that you guys were there all the time yeah we loved it and we just uh we just kind of outgrew it like um we were getting offers to play obviously some bigger places and it just took off but it was fun it was fun i think the turning point was when all of these places in in illinois which is kind of sad they bring in these poker machines and yeah. um, I think it's, you know, obviously it's revenue. It probably pays their utility bill, whatever, you know, maybe their rent every every month. But, yeah, when they brought in the poker machines, man, it was like, sorry, we can't. Our vibe is just not, it doesn't work well with poker machines. The old lady playing doesn't want doesn't want to hear the music. No, I don't want to hear the ding, 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 you know, oh, more, yeah, more yeah. than the old lady. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is weird. There's some of those where I can't think of the place, but, yeah, it's like, They'll have a stage, they'll have music, and then they'll have people sitting like right there, like next to it. So it is like a weird yeah. kind of Yeah, we don't go for that. Like, you know, if you if you're gonna come hear music, you're gonna hear music, right? So like that was a stipulation we had early on. And I and I would give that advice to any band that's starting out, you know, negotiate with the owner. But one of the things we stipulated was look, I love the Cubs, man, but no Cubs game on behind my back or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't want to compete with sports on TV. Like if you're going to come here, want to come hear music, you're going to hear music. Yeah. So we did that in all of our contracts. There was, you know, all TVs had to go off. So yeah, we wanted to enjoy the experience and we wanted the people to enjoy the experience with us. And then, you know, one of the other things we did and, and uh, I smile now that I think about it, but one of the early things we did is we asked to be announced every time we got on stage. So it's just a simple things like that, that I would, you know, I have young bands ask me advice and that's, those are things that I, it might sound a little corny, but it means a lot when like the owner of the establishment comes out or whoever's managing the, the, the bar and says, you know, folks, you're in for a treat tonight. We've got the Brazilian airs. It just gets everybody's attention, you know? Yeah. 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 It kind of s- sets you apart. Yeah. I mean, not that we think we're that or ever thought we were that great. We just wanted, we, we rehearsed a lot. We practiced, we were, you know, we were on our game and we just wanted to be recognized and people to, to listen to us. Yeah. Yeah. I got to take pride in what you do. When did you guys start recording music then? Cause you obviously you do covers, but then you have your own originals. Like, yeah, we did. Well, actually when we started out, it was pretty crazy. When we started out, we were doing a lot of, there's a composer in Brazil his name is Tom Jobim. Hmm. And we were doing a lot of classic bossa nova, which I love, absolutely love. 
But we noticed when we started like doing stuff a little more up tempo, maybe not quite as loungy, and then putting in our originals, which also had a Latin feel to them. We, we noticed the crowd that was was really uh, picking up on that. So we we started recording in 2014, maybe. I think our first album came out in 2015. We put well, we put an EP out first. We put an EP out with uh, five songs on it. Yeah. And then we did a full album. Then our second full album is is we've been releasing some tracks, but we're gonna add a few more to those songs that we've released as singles and and put a, a second album together real soon. But hopefully into in t- by 2024. Awesome. So you're in Nashville, but then some of the guys in the band are they still based in Peoria? They are. And, you know, that's our original crew. And we just, we got some incredible players up there. We, um, so when we play in Nashville, we do shows here uh, from time to time. Um, we brought our guys down from Illinois to play, but we've also used local players here. So we mm-hmm. kind of have a, a crew here in Nashville that we can use, but the original band is up in Illinois and um, they're special to us. They really mm-hmm. are. They're incredible players. Todd Kelly on trumpet. He's like the jazz has the jazz program at Bradley University. Tom Markle, who does the jazz program at, at Illinois State University on drums. We got Andy Crawford, who runs the jazz program at Knox College in Galesburg. So all these guys like run these jazz programs. So they're super good. Oh wow! Um, and then we got um, Jose Reyes, our conga player, who's just incredible. Born in Puerto Rico, grew up in New York. I mean, just understands latin grooves really well and then we have my buddy uh that i love tears it up on saxophone jimmy curlis and jimmy he plays with like all the really top r&b blues and r&b bands up there funk bands i think he's originally from canton oh wow yeah and then i you know i'd be remiss if i didn't mention also he comes in on some of our big shows mike nellis plays keyboards with us and oh, mike man. is if you know mike nellis he's like he plays everything, man. He's just an incredible guitarist, plays bass really well, um, but he plays keyboards with us, organ. So he'll be on that show with us in September uh, the 30th. With the recording the new music, though, even though you guys are in different spots, did they just record their tracks and send them to you? And you Yeah, them? well, there's a studio in Normal that we use uh, with the guys up north um, when we record new tracks. But we also have, full disclosure, we've also used some Nashville musicians on some of our recordings some of the new stuff so it's kind of a mixture of the guys up in illinois with some of our nashville uh, session players here oh cool because i didn't know if it was fully remote but it seemed like um, if you're actually in the studio there's more of that like do you guys record it in the studio together or just like the separate yeah we record it together the rhythm section for sure um oh, awesome. you know and then usually like we even the vocals, uh, we'll, but it might be a scratch vocal. We may, we may uh, obviously in the studio, uh, go in and uh, overdub the vocals, but we play all together in separate booths, rooms, you know, so to isolate the the instruments. Well, that's cool. That would be, that's got more of a vibe, I guess. That's the vibe. And you know yeah. what? I What I found here in Nashville is that all the good music is, is recorded live, like the, the bands play together. There's yeah. not... There's not this, uh, some guy in his home studio records the bass, then he gets on the keyboards, plays the bass, uh, the keyboards, then he plays the guitar. That doesn't happen down here in Nashville. The rooms are set up so cool where they have these baffles. So they can, cause you do want your instruments isolated. Yeah. So you don't want your bass to bleed over your, or your, or your guitar or whatever, you know, to bleed over the vocals or whatever, you know, 
So it's all isolated with these baffles they use, but, and there's mics all over the room. So like if I'm playing guitar, there's not just a mic on my guitar amp. There's a mic like on the ceiling above my guitar, like strategically placed mics Hmm. everywhere. And that gives it this really big room sound. Yeah. That's the big difference from what I've seen down here with the studios compared to up North, you know? I think that'd be cool because when you see stuff in like, I guess the older days when they're like recording classic albums, that's the way they did it like back in the in mm-hmm. the day. And it seemed like there was more energy to it. There's more energy. Like the and I get to play off each other. Yeah. And you know what, Andy, what's really cool where I think there's a, there's a movement, man, to get back to that. And I think there's a movement also to get away from click tracks as much. So, you know, click, click tracks are nice because when you record the click track, someone else can come and do their part and, and, and be right on the beat, of course, when they overdub their parts or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, if you listen to those really cool classic like rock albums, you'll hear like on the chorus because it's just natural. It's natural for the chorus often to pick up a little bit on the tempo. You know, not much, not real. It may not be perceived much, but it does pick up a bit. It's just a because the chorus rises, you know. I think there's a movement to get back to that where it's just not all click track. But then on the opposite side, <laughs> you've got a lot of bands going out with recorded music these days, right? So then you have to play with a click because they have to play with that recorded. Um, oh, yeah, like the tracks, you mean? Yeah, like recorded tracks. Track. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of these artists go out and, of course, in the studio, they've got this cool loop on their tune or whatever besides the drummer. So they'll go out and they'll have that loop recorded. And when they play live, they use it. I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a real big fan of that. I I understand people, fans probably want to hear everything that's on the record, right? Yeah. So a fan wants that experience when they see a band, but really it's almost better if it doesn't sound just like the record, you know? Yeah, I kind of actually go both ways. Sometimes like I like the like albums that are really produced with a lot of stuff on it, like so so i like stuff like that like i guess for example like i don't know the beatles they've got all these tracks and right, different right. things yeah but then when i'm seeing something live i just want it to be plug in and play but you I mentioned don't want all the bells and whistles so no and you mentioned something really good but that's why the beatles as you probably know stopped touring yeah that's exactly why they stopped touring because they did sergeant pepper that sergeant pepper's album and it was like there's no way we could pull this off live you know yeah. And which is really cool because they went in a different direction. I'm a big Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. But, and they went in a different direction and just started doing a, that experimentation in the studio, their last few albums, and they didn't perform live, except for the rooftop. I think they did that rooftop gig, right, on Let It Be, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking about that, my buddy Denny, he's kind of said the same thing because there's a song or two of his that I like, and he's like, I can't do that live because I would need like four other guitar players, and I can't pay <laughs> four other guys to do all that. Absolutely. It's like yeah. the same thing you're saying with the Beatles, you know? Yeah. Well, going back, though, to these classic like records and stuff, what were your first like records that you had in your collection? Oh, man. I'll tell you who really influenced me early. Eddie Van Halen was a big, big influence on me. Of course, I never... I never really thought I could play like that dude. So like, but I just liked watching him at a distance. You know, I was thinking, wow, this dude is incredible. His sound was enormous, right?
But then, I, I gotta be honest, what really, probably the biggest influence, and you'll smile, but one of the biggest influences on me when I was a kid was Prince. Um, oh, wow. Never forget seeing Purple Rain and thinking, this dude is so talented, just incredible. Like I guess I actually dragged my feet a little bit trying to get into Prince, but I slowly kind of have over the last couple of years, and like I kind of wish I'd got into him sooner because he does have some like really cool stuff. I just read a book on him. It's called uh, Nothing Compares to You, yeah. and I would re- highly recommend anyone listening to this to you can get it on Audible. That's what I did. Man, he could have been you know after as I was listening to that book, he could have been probably the best bassist ever. Hmm. He was that good. If he wanted to just be a bassist, okay, he could have been a Jocko Pastorius. And I'm not, I don't say that lightly. I really mean it. And if, but he played everything, right? He, he wasn't a bassist. If he just wanted to be a drummer, he could have been probably the best drummer. We People would still be talking about him as a drummer, you know? Um, guitarist, incredible guitarist. I mean, you've probably seen that while my guitar gently weeps video with, with, oh, uh, yeah, Petty. Yeah. I mean, look, there was so much talent on that stage and then he came out and did that ending solo. And I don't blame them for putting him at the end of that solo because <laughs> you can't match his playing, you know, he's that good. You know, his singing, I, sometimes that falsetto wears on people and including me. I mean, I like some of the falsetto, but not always. But he was a really good singer. Uh, he could sing both falsetto and the regular, you know, regular voice. Yeah. So I'm going on and on about him, but I just mesmerized by him, you know. Lyrically, sometimes his lyrics are good. Sometimes they're a little, I don't know, on the simple side for me. But sometimes simple is good because that sells, right? Or a little bit, uh, kind of a double entendres, or not even actually not even that. He just he just goes all the way with it. He does. Yeah. He didn't hold but, you know, <laughs> yeah, he, he does. I think he went for that early on. Like, I think he mellowed out with that later in his career. But early on, he, he tried to um, he tried to shock us all with his lyrics, you know. Yeah, like cream. <laughs> right. It's your time, time. Yeah, or Darling Nikki. Yeah. If you ever hear that off the Purple Rain soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, he's you know he's got songs like Head that you can't even put on. They couldn't even play on the radio, right? Um, <laughs> like uh, B side. He had B sides that were like pretty naughty. Erotic City or something. Like right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a song on what album is that on? Uh, Controversy. That album, and it's called uh, Lady Cab Driver. Yeah, yeah, man. And at the funky. end of that song, man, he's just absolutely have an intercourse with this woman, you know, <laughs> and recorded it. It's just absolutely crazy. Did you have your own record collection growing up or did you just kind of like get stuff from your like siblings? Yeah, I kind of did. I got records from my siblings. You know, I grew up kind of in a blue collar working class neighborhood, you know, wasn't a lot of money. And so, um, you know, I hustled for every record I could buy, but um, of course cassettes were big then. So I was like, getting friends to make me cassettes of yeah like mixtapes uh, mixtapes yeah vinyls back <laughs> so you can't see it but the whole like floor of this room is like crates of records vinyl's super cool the thing the only thing with vinyl man is like i'm just ocd about crackles and pops and stuff like that so like you know you got to be ocd about cleaning your records and you know yeah. but 
the sound, man, on a, especially on a speakers, speakers that came like good quality, like nice, expensive speakers from the vinyl era, not new speakers, but the vinyl era speakers. I'm finding they sound just like they're, they're tuned for those vinyl records. And yeah, I've been trying to up my game there too with the vinyl. Yeah, everything's like compressed for like the digital stuff, right? So that's what you're saying. The older speakers are what, what's that, analog? Right, two-way. Yeah. Right. They go two way. Like you, now, of course, you know, you have well, you've got like Dolby Atmos, right? Dolby yeah. Atmos is how many? I think that's is it seven speakers or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, and and I have a friend in L.A. His name is Keith Jones and he played with us here in Nashville on a show when, when the Brazilianers played. He is uh, an incredible bassist. You should look him up. He played with Carlos Santana for for many years. Played Did with you say his name was Keith Jones. Keith Jones, yeah, he's a bassist, good friend of mine. He actually has a studio now. He moved from now. He was living in Nashville. He was playing with Kev Moe, and he started his own studio. And in that studio, what he's doing is doing Dolby Atmos mixes on big records. So, so the the, the engineers will mix it, mix a track like two way, right? Yeah. Um, left and right, and then they'll give him the same tracks, and he'll make a Dolby Atmos mix out of it, oh, which wow. is crazy because you got sounds coming like it's like going from two dimensional to three dimensional. You know, you got you got sounds coming like from, from up above you, and <laughs> not just left and right, you know, and underneath you, and just well, it's kind of like home theater, right? Something like that. Yeah. You just made me think of this. Like, I haven't ever actually checked this out, but there's a musician that I like, uh, Steven Wilson, and he does like a lot of like prog rock and stuff. And he's like remixed other bands albums. And I think he's got into doing stuff like that too, where he does like DVD audio like mixes or something. So it's probably along the same lines. That's what it is. That. Yeah. 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 It's a big thing right now. You know, I'm kind of old school. Like, um, well, first of all, to really enjoy the Dolby Atmos mixes, you have to have some killer earbuds, you know, good Apple earbuds would do it, but you can't just like sit on your sofa, really. I don't think and fully enjoy it unless you unless you just have this killer audio audio system with all these speakers, because you get you have to have like I think I think minimum seven speakers or something to really enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. I may be wrong in the number, but it's up there. You know, man, give me a good two way mix with a subwoofer. You know, left and right with a subwoofer, and I'm cool with that. You know. Do you have that set up in your room there? Do you have like speakers? Oh, yeah. Or... Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, my speakers are... Well, you can see how tall my speakers are. Oh, yeah. Man, it's towering <laughs> over you. <laughs> and you see the subwoofer in the back of it? Yeah. These speakers got subwoofers in the built-in the bottoms. Damn. Each the left and right speakers. So, yeah, and that's because of Keith Jones, man. My my buddy, my bassist buddy. I'll never forget we went to a concert together. We He's from Jamaica originally. So we went to hear this reggae band. He had earplugs and he handed me a set of earplugs when I got in there. And he's like, protect your ears, man, because that's that's your tools. You're a musician, that your ears are your tool. And so now I'm really careful. Like if I'm if I'm doing a project around the house, I have to pull out a, I don't know, a saw or something and cut a piece of wood. Man, I'm putting my headphones on now. You know, I never used to. I just cut cut the two by four, right? Yeah. Now I throw headphones on when I cut a two by four, if that makes sense. It does. As a musician, yeah, if you're playing off your band members and you can't hear anything, it's yeah, all, all going to kind of fall apart. 
Yeah, I went to in ears um, on stage, you know, and a lot of a lot of players use in ears, but um, I still only use one. Man, I keep one ear open and put an in ear in one ear because I really do like I, I just like the vibration of the stage. You know, the sounds on the uh -huh. stage. I probably at some point should put both monitors in, but I just use one right now, my left ear. How does that How does that work? Are you kind of getting it? Are you hearing like a delay when you do that, or is no, it no, just all the same? So what, yeah, what I put through my my in ear is my vocal and uh, my guitar and Dub's vocal, and um, that allows me to make sure my pitch is good, right, when I'm singing. Yeah, and then. Uh, I keep my right ear open so I can hear the bass and the drums and, and the rest of the state, you know, instruments. Oh, okay. I don't really know how all that works technically. Like I just, I just listen to music, so I don't know all the, That's the all technical right. side. That's all right. But um, I do have another question about shows though. So you performed like indoor and you mentioned, you know, some of the places here around Peoria um, you've played outside at Kelleher's and Poor Brothers and stuff. But then there's something you've done a few times, and I was wondering how this came about, uh, playing with the orchestra. I'm telling you, that was an amazing thing. They call him the maestro, you know, the conductor of the of the orchestra, George Deludo. He came out and heard us a few times. Um, we actually did this. We did this outdoor concert with Charles Yang. He's this, like, incredible violinist. Um hmm. I think he lives in Austin, Texas, but he came up to Peoria to play with the orchestra. And then um, he played with us outdoors. We were playing it down on the riverfront and, and the, uh, George DeLittle came and heard us and he came up to me afterwards. And he says, if you would score, if you could get some scores for your music and you know what scores are like the, the cello part, a violin part, an oval yeah. part, whatever, you know, for like the orchestra has like what, 40, 50, 50 instruments if you could get scores for your music i'd like to talk to talk to you about playing with with the orchestra so oh wow so we went back and we found this guy in chicago scott and he, scott hall and he actually scored our performance and wrote all these parts took our music basically and expanded it and it was just a real success of course you know um because our our fans uh are based out of that area so we had a great turnout for that that uh, performance. And then he asked us to do a repeat performance. Um, we scored some additional music. And that time, my drummer, is, who is actually an incredible orchestrator, he he scored some pieces. It's pretty cool. And, and we're, we're shopping our, our uh, performance because we'd like to perform with some other orchestras. Oh, wow. Cool, cool. I hope that happens for you guys. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, man. I can't even tell you, like, when they take – Say say I write a song. It's you know, a three three and a half minute tune, right? With you know, bass, drums, guitar, percussion, horns, you know. But still, it's only like six seven instruments, whatever. And then imagine blowing that up with that same song, yeah. maybe extending it a little bit with the intro and stuff. But that song blowing up to like fifty instruments. It's just incredible, dude. It's like having an orgasm. Like, <laughs> I can't even tell you the smile on my face to hear all these beautiful instruments playing my little pop tune that I wrote. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so did you have to, like, rehearse it a lot with the with the orchestra before then? 
Yeah, you get one rehearsal. You got to yeah. be in your game because you get one rehearsal. I think they were given the music and were told to, you know, yeah, basically go over it, it yeah. practice it. And then we got together. We had one rehearsal with the conductor the night before. And uh, that was it. Oh, wow. Man, like no uh, hiccups or anything? Oh, man, there was probably a few, you know, yeah. a lot of nerves, you know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a different crowd, right? So, like, our music is like Latin bass so there's always like somebody moving even if they're not dancing they're all back moving and grooving because our music lends itself to that yeah and so it's a little different so playing clubs and festivals like we do it's quite different when you play with an orchestra because you go out man the lights are on you dude and there's 1600 people or whatever and it's all dark and the lights are on you got something silly to ask you though you grew up in peoria right so do you have any like any favorites like when you come back home like you gotta have avanti's bread or do you have to like is there any kind of food that you have (laughs) when you come back here yeah i gotta tell you i really like this like davis brothers pizza oh yeah yeah i'm like uh i crave that because man i don't know anywhere that sells a pizza like that right it's like Jimmy Dean pork sausage on a and and mushrooms out of the can, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, like they're not even fresh mushrooms, but there's some flavor in that pizza, man. I don't know what it is. They put it all together, right? And yeah, uh, yeah there's like not hardly any sauce on it. A little bit of sauce, and they use like um, cheddar cheese and shit, you know, on it. And um, yeah, because that's what's so weird to me is it's not like other pizzas they throw on all the shredded cheese and it covers the pizza. This is like almost looks like patches of cheese. It's patches of cheddar something. cheese and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're like, like strips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what it is about that pizza because like like I had a friend, Denise, and she's Italian and, and um, she was in Peoria and I took her there. I said, man, I want to take you to my favorite pizza because she wanted pizza, right? She's Italian, Italian-American. She's from like the east coast and yeah. i took her there and she she's like this is not pizza <laughs> <laughs> she said this is your favorite pizza i said i don't know what it is she said this has got a like, canned mushrooms on it it's not even like real mushrooms you know <laughs> and uh I, I said i know but and it, she says like jimmy dean pork sausage or something on it you know and i'm like no i know but there's something when they put it together yeah. i guess that's the midwestern kidding me man that i just love that pizza so <laughs> shout out to davis brother pizza i also like tenderloins they don't sell those in the south oh, you know wow. nice tenderloin i've got a cabin outside of bloomington indiana so i live uh up there about a week one week a month up there these days i've been going up there and it's uh it's killer it's right in the middle of the forest and there i can get a tenderloin there's like a local gas station that sells them. They make them fresh and they're actually pretty good. <laughs> when you're up in your cabin, like, uh, is that where you do like a lot of writing and stuff too? Yeah, that's where I do primarily all my writing up there. It's just that, man, it's just so peaceful. And I've kind of just started really discovering nature, honestly, because I've always been a city guy, right? Grew up, yeah. grew up on the south side of Peoria, right? Of all places. And so city, right? And then I moved to LA, which was city. And Moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is city. So during COVID, uh, I bought this little cabin up in 
of all places, you'll laugh, but it's Nashville, Indiana. <laughs> so like I got properties in two Nashvilles, right? But my grandfather was originally from, it's called Brown County, Indiana, which is where Nashville, Indiana is. And uh, I would go back there. He's passed away long ago, but I would go back there and rent a cabin because I really like that area. Found a place and I just can't tell you what it's done. I, I like discovered nature, really discovered nature for the first time in my life. Like, yeah, I've been camping as a kid and things, but this is, I mean, man, I'm out at like mushrooms and identifying trees and um, <laughs> I've got like 31 acres there. So it's just all forest. It's just beautiful. Are you able to do any like hiking around there too? Or is it uh, just all flat there? I do. I, I hike, uh, well, it's not flat. It's all like hills and hollers, <laughs> you know, but I do hike around there and it's, um, there's a lot of, it's, it's like in the middle of this huge forest The nature conservancy is right there. I think it might've been the same thing with like the pandemic or COVID. I got out and like hiked more and I didn't realize like how many trails there are actually around the Peoria area. That's special. It really is. You know, have you hiked anywhere else outside of that area? Have you done anything down where you're at in like a Nashville? Uh, no, I need to. Um, I, there's a couple of parks here that I've, I've walked, you know, but I've never been to like any big state park or anything like that here. But Tennessee's beautiful as well. It's just, man, I'm going to be honest, uh, from a, you know, I'm a Midwestern boy. The South is hotter than hell, man, in the summer. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not to tell you. It's like, um, it's, it's so, it can be so humid, man. You can't even hardly breathe. And allergies and everything is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough down here sometimes. But the opposite side of the coin is the, the winters, you know, are pretty mild. And, you know, I'm bony. So I do better with the winters here in Tennessee than I do up in Illinois. Well, at least fall's about to set in, too. Yeah. Fall's beautiful here, and the temperatures are, you know, start to cool off in the fall, obviously. So. Well, I got another kind of silly thing. Yeah. Well, we are kind of heading into fall, and the Halloween's coming up, and you're doing the Halloween costume show at the Contemporary Arts Center. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite movie monster? Ah! <laughs> Oh man, I'd have to say, uh, is it Freddy Krueger? Probably, man. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, did you ever see the original Exorcist? Yeah. Oh man. I, well, I saw that kind of too late when I was in high school and I ended up laughing at it more than being scared of it. Oh my God. Yeah. So like that creeps me out, man. Anything with the devil like that. Yeah. I went to parochial grade school for eight years oh really what one yeah like... a shout out to christ lutheran oh okay <laughs> down in the south side of peoria i think it's the only parochial high school or grade school still down there yeah man and they really pushed the devil you know what i mean <laughs> so <laughs> it was like um like i don't even know if churches even talk about the devil anymore but man when i went to, when i was in grade school it was like you better be good or you'll get possessed you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and then like so so movies like Anything, The Allman or, you know, The Exorcist, any of those type of movies just creep me out. It's funny you mentioned Christ Lutheran because I went to uh, Concordia in Peoria. Oh, okay. So we were oh. probably like, I think, rival schools. I remember Absolutely. soccer, like against Christ Lutheran and oh yeah, some of those ones like St. Thomas and stuff. I usually keep it casual, though, just talking about music. But then I thought I'd throw in some of the silly food and stuff in there. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. We could, uh, I guess, maybe talk a little bit about my guitar yeah. technique or, you know, because I saw fisting guitars. I thought I thought you were going to really 
like quiz me about my plan or something like that. So oh no, maybe maybe I should message people through the A sides Instagram or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I play a nylon string guitar. Oh wow! Primarily, I do have electric. Uh, I have a an HSS Strat, which um, Stratocaster, but uh, I play that on a few songs. But primarily, I play a nylon string, and it's a it's a Cordoba guitar. And I uh, have a Taylor acoustic nylon as well. What liberated me as a guitar player, so this is for all those guitar players out there, what liberated me was when I got away from the guitar pick, it completely changed my style and it, it just felt so natural. Oh, wow. I'm not saying that's for everybody because some people, you know, in fact, I still use a guitar pick on, a, on some stuff. Like I'm still strange, you have to, because if you end up, You'll cut your hand up, obviously, if you don't use a guitar pick on a steel string. But but it was just liberating, man, to actually play with my fingernails instead of a guitar pick. I really love some of the Brazilian guitar players, a guy named Toquinho. I love the Spanish guitar players are probably the top of the top, right? Uh, a guy named Paco de Lucia. If you ever look him up, you could YouTube him. I'm going to uh, write that down, too. He's the best of the best. So those were my, like, guitar influences, like when did you start uh like playing the nylon strings then like have you been yeah. doing that for a while yeah i actually probably since like early 2000s i started playing nylon string primarily i've kind of morphed into my my style which is kind of a latin fusion we do some of the songs we we do have kind of a, a brazilian feel like samba and uh bossa nova feel and then some of the songs we write are kind of more latin american style sounding it's like uh different rhythms uh, there's a cumbia that we do, which comes from Colombia, you know, and then we do a couple that are have a Spanish feel to them that we've written from Spain, you know, so it's kind of a Latin fusion thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, man, we are a vocal band. I am like a songwriter, a singer and a guitarist and not great in any, any one of those three. I'm, I'm decent. <laughs> you know what I mean, at all, probably at all three. But um, because I do sing, I'm not the primary singer, but I'm a singer that you know, takes away sometimes from my guitar playing, but I absolutely love the guitar. Yeah, one of my favorites is that Tudo Bim. I don't know if that's... Oh, Tudo Bim, yeah. Yeah, if I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah. Like no, you got it. Do you know what that means? No, I don't. So Tudo Bim means, it, it kind of means, uh, well, that's Portuguese, and it literally means all good. So oh, okay. uh, in Spanish, it'd be Todo Bien. So what that means is like, that's what that's how people in Brazil often greet themselves. We would greet each other. They'd say "tudo bem." In other words, is everything good? You know, it's like, everything cool. You know, so that's why uh, that's that's where the title came from. That's one thing to me is like I like about having records or the physical thing because I can go look at the lyrics and the liners. And who wrote yeah. that stuff? But then having it digitally, you don't always get all that stuff. You don't. You like, don't get it. Yeah. You don't you, get it. And you know what? The problem is, man, with the digital, the biggest problem is everyone's listening to their music pretty much on their phones. Yeah. Because it's streaming, you're getting a really thin file. You're getting a kind of a weak sounding file compared to what you got behind you on the floor. Yeah. That's that's the real deal, man. That's that's the full file, you know. I'm going to have to go check out, too, one album, because you mentioned the nylon string guitar. And there's one album. I love Stone Temple Pilots. And their last album they put out was all kind of... It wasn't electric. They used other instruments. And there was a nylon string guitar, like, 
like listed in there. Oh, uh, cool. So I might have to dig that out later too, just to kind of see yeah. if I can pick out some of that stuff. Oh, sure. And that's more of an organic sound, you know, it's a, uh, yeah. And that you can reproduce live, right? Pretty easy. You'll have to show me your guitar when you come up here uh, one of the times. I'd be happy to. Yeah. yeah. So are you primarily like the, the main songwriter then uh, for all your uh, Brazilian air stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And Dove, Dove contributes sometimes. She helps me more than anything with maybe a melody. So I'll, I'll have a rough melody and then she'll help me tweak the melody sometimes. But I usually have usually have the, the chords and lyrics all, all before I even present it to her. Yeah. And then uh, and she's also a good critic because sometimes she'll say, oh, man, I love the lyrics on the first verse. But second verse that 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 third line in the second verse i don't know you, you might consider tweaking that you know so um she's a good set of ears to bounce stuff off of so when are you planning your um you said 2024 so are you planning like a full album then yeah that's our plan because um what we've got is um we've as i told you we've released these singles probably got about five singles now we've released that we're not on our second album, just new stuff, newer stuff. And then we've got about five tunes that we're getting ready to go in the studio and record. So when they're finished, we're going to put, put the whole album out. Cool. I guess I do got one other question for you then too. Do you have a favorite song like to perform live? Um, either your own or like a cover that you guys mixed into the set or like what's your... Oh man, yeah. That's a tough one uh, because they're kind of all my babies. Even the songs I didn't write, even the covers we do, because we do the covers like completely our own version of them. Yeah, um, yeah you guys do make them your own. Even you guys do like a Bruno Mars song. I can't think of the title, but yeah, yeah there's <laughs> yeah. stuff in there where it's not just one genre. You're mixing stuff right. into it. Yeah. I think there's a classic Brazilian tune that we still do because – as I told you, we started out doing a lot of classic Brazilians and then we kind of started dropping the classic ones as we were adding newer stuff to our repertoire. But there's a classic one we do called Masque Nada. And a lot of people have covered it, even like uh, it's been several, ba several bands, even recently they've covered it. It's like a song from the 60s, but I really dig it. I love the rhythm and the chord structure in that tune. So that might be might be one of my favorites i guess all right man well thank you for chatting with me tonight yeah well thanks for having me do this yeah yeah and i hope to see you. are you gonna come on september 30th yep i'll be at that one and i'll be at the one in october too fantastic all right well come say hi to me man i definitely will do you have like a web link so people can check out your music or where is it at online Probably the best place is any streaming platform. The, the tricky thing is, man, we have a, a the spelling of our name is is kind of unique. It's um, and you'll probably put it out here in the podcast, but we use one L in it, so it's B R A Z I L and then I O N A I R E S. Yeah. The reason we did that, man, we had to trademark our name early on, so nobody would come up with you know, and somebody some other band puts an album out called the Brazilianaires, and then we get a cease and desist, you know, to. So we had to kind of come up with a unique spelling. That's what we did. So we have our own YouTube channel. That's probably oh, yeah, the best. Or Facebook. Oh. Or you can go to Facebook and, and catch as well. You know, we have a website, but we we got a guy that doesn't update it as much. We pretty much direct everybody to our Facebook or Instagram. Okay. Well, that's what I'll, I'll do when I post the episode too. I'll, All right. Cool. I'll link up with those. All right. Super. Um, all right, man. Well, thank you.
All right. Thank you, Andy. Have a great night. Me too. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Come say hey. All right. Take care. If you would like to see the Brazilianaires this weekend in central Illinois, you can go to givebutter.com slash for the mad to get tickets for the Blockbuster Bash for the Madison Theater here in central Illinois. Thanks for listening to A-Sides. Hello? Tudo bem? Tudo bem? Tudo bom? Everything's just fine since you've been gone. Tudo bem?